You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest, and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. Well, good morning. From the Farm Bureau Studios here in downtown Starkville, I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield, and this is Sunday Coffee presented by Strange Brew Coffee House. We're in the Farm Bureau Studios here in downtown Starkville. Farm Bureau, go with the home team at Farm Bureau. You can check them out at favorites.com. Agents all across the state of Mississippi, all 82 counties, there to help you when you need them the most. Home life, auto, whatever you need in the insurance world. Our good friends at Farm Bureau. And this is Sunday Coffee brought to you by Strange Brew Coffee House. Strange Brew with three locations, Spring Street and Highway 12. That's where it all started. They also have churn and spoon ice cream. The temperature is going to be in the 70s later today after the baseball game. That may be the place to head to after the ball game today. Go get you some ice cream. And so Strange Brew Coffee, go to strangebrewcoffeehouse.com, and they will ship this great coffee to you. Stop by this morning, got my blueberry-flavored coffee. Charlie, I tried to break away from it a few weeks ago, and I've just gone right back to my old habit, and it is um, – Got the tall cup of coffee this morning from Strange Brew Coffee House. And, hey, good and bad yesterday. Last night, Chris Jans, men's basketball team, Josh Hubbard. Man, what a game we had down in Baton Rouge. You are doing it again. I did it the other day. I felt good about it. I'm just going to be honest with you. I felt good about it. Can we have an honest moment? When do we not have an honest moment? All right, so here's what I'm going to say to you. You overrate your ability to be sarcastic and fake. I overrated. So, yeah, yeah, like you think when you're being sarcastic, it comes across that way, but it doesn't. But I'm not being sarcastic. When you're when you're faking it, you can tell. I had a good cup of strange brew coffee this no, morning. No, no, no. We no, had a no. We no. had a good basketball game last night. Are you say? Are you looking me in the eye right now and saying? I'm saying you're the guy who years ago said repeatedly we don't talk about basketball, <laughs> and now you come in here, Mary Poppins, sunshine and rainbows, wanting to talk about basketball. Ready to paint my face, man. Yeah, I'm like a Duke you're fan. Right? Storm the court. You know, speaking Hold of the signs and everything else. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes it takes a fire to be lit, and you know. We're playing well right now. We've won five in a row. Hey, we said after – You're responding to coaching. Is that what you're telling me? I am me? responding to coaching right now. We uh, we said after we lost to Alabama a couple weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, that we needed to win a bunch of games in a row, and we have done just that. And going on the road, you told me the other day this was not a must win down in Baton Rouge. I did say that. You did say it. You did not think it was a must win. Was that our best outing of the year? Oh, yeah. Hands down. Okay. I mean, at least in the SEC year, right? Okay. Some So many times people in our business, in the sports broadcasting business, we overanalyze things. It's like that manager that tries to think too much. Sometimes we do that too. And I know the obvious. Josh Hubbard made shots last night. He scored 32 points. He is a freshman wonder. But take away that. Is the most Im- – impressive thing about winning last night in Baton Rouge, the way that you did it, and Cam Matthews only played 18 minutes? Is that overanalyzing? No, I think I think that's probably right. I, I can get on board with that. Because you're best on-ball defender. But, hey, so much is masked. It goes back to it, man. So much is masked when, when you make shots. And last night, especially in the second half, we we made a bunch of shots. I'm, I'm beginning to tell I'll tell you this. We said it the other day. Talking about lighting a fire under guys, and you know the other night, and we started Jimmy Bell, and Tolu came off the bench, and and it was it looked like a different Tolu, and then last night Chris Jans was like, you know what, you know it's the old baseball mentality of I'm not mixing up something that worked, and so you come back out last night, you start Jimmy Bell, Tolu had a really good game again, 87 to 67 over LSU, and the thing about it too, Charlie, and I watched the broadcast last night, and so many times, um. It's hard to watch some of the broadcasts around the country today because they're talking about anything else other than the actual game going on. And, you know, that's kind of faux pas for us to be talking like that because that's what we do. And I don't like to talk about fellow broadcasters at all. But give me Dave Neal to John Sonvold every game. 
I'm fine with Dave Neal every game. So one of the things that I think we have at some in some circles take a little criticism for because people think it's a lack of preparation is that there's not more backstory, more personal interest. How this guy get his name? Who was his high school coach? I don't care. I mean, ultimately, once the game tips off, you're watching a basketball game, right? It doesn't matter what kind of car he drives or where his mom works. And maybe I go too hard that way. I think baseball lends itself a little bit more to that just because you got all day. You got so much, there's so much downtime to broadcast. You're there for a while. But, you know, I'm watching a game yesterday. It was not our game. It was a different one where a guy gets a breakaway. He gets a dunk. And basically they have to interrupt a story about something that has nothing to do with the game. Yeah. I would rather not say anything. But the thing that I take, and going back to the reason I brought that up, is John Sunvolt made a very good observation, I thought, with about four minutes to go in the first half last night. And he said, you know, I had to wonder what LSU was going to be like after winning that game against Kentucky. They had the court storming down in Baton Rouge. And he was like, LSU came ready to play tonight. And so there there was not a situation, especially in the first half, where they were lethargic and trying to, you know, and, and having like a letdown game after a big win. LSU played hard in the first half last night, and I think we kind of took the soul away from them late in that game, though. But th- it's not a situation that they just didn't show up. Is the story of this five-game stretch of wins the return of Keyshawn Murphy? Is that the real story of this thing? Man, I think you could look at so many things. You know, last night, of course, Cam Matthews only playing 18 minutes, and is that a big story? How big of a story is it that Tolu had 19 points in 28 minutes last night, was 8 of 14? How big of a story is it that we were 17 of 22 at the free throw line and shot 77%? And you just said it right there, Charlie. Keyshawn Murphy is a pro-style type player. He is a matchup nightmare with athleticism, Nine rebounds and 11 points last night. He just gives you a completely different dimension when he's in the game. I think him coming back and, and the job he's done, the other thing is he's versatile. You can look at – you could, depending on who you're playing, have Murph backing up the five or the four. And you could even you could even mix and match, and we've done this, with Murph, Cam, and Tolu or Jimmy Bell all on the floor together. I mean, he's a versatile guy. He's learning to play defense. He is. And so many storylines in that game. LSU has been a really good three-point shooting team. They rely a lot on the three ball. And what we did to them last night completely taken away the outside. And a lot of that was just the way that we defended. They didn't have many open shots. They were three for 17 behind the three-point game uh, line last night. So it wasn't just us making threes. It wasn't us just making free throws. Man, we defended the heck out of the perimeter last night. There is a reason, ultimately, that we are fourth in the country at three-point percentage defense. There's a reason. We're pretty good at defending. And I thought we were good at doing it last night. But that's who we are. That's who we've been. We've been a pretty good defending team. But 87 points on the road last night, 47 47 points in the second half. So how about this? For everybody that says that our defense isn't as good, we're 11th in the country by Ken Palm in defensive efficiency. For everybody that says our offense hasn't gotten better, we're 73rd in the country in offensive efficiency. Compared to 176 last year, we're getting better. And if we could make free throws, that number would look even better. Winning on the road against a decent team, and that's what LSU is. LSU is a decent team. And winning on the road last night brings your RPI to 28. Right, so your net, let, your, uh, your net, ranking. net ranking. Okay. Your net ranking. Your net ranking is now – 28, which is fifth best in the SEC. LSU had a had an 84 starting the week, and so you had a quad two win on the road last night. So you started the week 36, and now you're 28. And the team that's right in front of you comes to your place on Tuesday night, Kentucky. Hmm. You know, here's the challenge. I've seen how the story ends. <laughs> I want it to be different. Well, I mean, I've lived this. I hope it's different. But an RPI of 28 right now, stretch run coming, 19-8 and eight overall. Tennessee's got the best net ranking in the league. Alabama is second best. Tennessee's five, Alabama six, Auburn is seven. Still got to go to Auburn. You play Kentucky at home. A&M is a 58. You got to go to Aggieland. They've dropped nine spots this week in the net ranking. 
So where are they headed? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of surprised. Every time I go to A&M, I think the exact same thing, whether it be men's basketball, women's basketball, football. And I know we just got a brains beat in out there this past year, so it's hard to say that when you leave out there this year. Is how are they not more competitive <laughs> in all these sports with all the resources? I don't think you fully can fully appreciate the resources they have until you go there and understand the money they got. Well, think about this. They're spending more than our whole budget to pay somebody not to work. That's that's some uh, that's some financial depth right there. All right, but basketball, as you look at it from here, it's a your most difficult games are the next two. You've got Kentucky coming in, who is a good team. Even though Kentucky fans aren't happy, there's a lot of people who would trade places. Auburn at Auburn is a difficult game to win. Or do we come down to needing to beat A&M in South Carolina to get into this thing, or do you think we're one away? We're probably one away, wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think? Depends on who you read. So if you read the T3 bracketology, which seems to be pretty good, they say we're probably one, maybe two. So all that being said, you need to get one of Kentucky or A&M, don't you? Hey, look, South Carolina went in and, and just stomped Ole Miss yesterday. Yeah, but you wonder how much of the ghosts Ole Miss gave up after walking out of here on Wednesday night. They did not look like they had any cares whatsoever about playing that basketball game yesterday. Well, they did want to fight. Well, they did do that. Um, well, hey, it is fun to really care about basketball in the last couple of weeks of February and into March. Here's what happened. When we left Alabama, we had to win five in a row. We've done it. Yeah. We've done it. Now you've got four games left. I really would like to get to. Here's the big thing for me. I want to get off that 8-9 line, and I'd really like to get off the 7-10 lines. And so what I would love to see us somehow, some way, is play ourselves into a six, right? Because if you can, if you can win three of these games, you've got a chance to find your way as a six seed, right? And that's going to take doing something probably in Nashville. Right. But if you get to the six, that means game two is against the three. You're not sitting there unless you got to get a sweet sixteen. Unless you got to go to Dallas and play Texas. Play Texas at we, home. We lived that one before. Well, but it is good to come in here and talk about something positive to start our Sunday coffee, Charlie. All right, you know what else is positive? The experience that you will get every time you go to Cannon Ford of Startwell. Cannon Ford, just east of Startwell on Highway 182. You will have positive experiences, just like it was watching that basketball game last night. Whether it be buying a new or used car, whether it be going to the body shop, even if you just got you a big old ding, insurance will pay for it. That's why you have good folks like Farm Bureau. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd make that representation. But insurance might pay for it. Well, if if it's if it's a deer that runs inside of your vehicle, okay. okay. So they will make sure that everything is handled and making sure all the dents are buffed out. They'll do a good job in the uh, in the <laughs> the body shop. This is a great live read right here, right off the top of my head. Service center is outstanding as well. They're open on Saturday mornings. Oil changes, spray and bed liners. Need your tires rotated? They can help you out at Cannon Ford of Starville. All right, you got to stop. You got to stop. What? You know exactly what I'm talking about that you're doing. You're in here trying to be like Mr. Cheerful and Mr. Positive and, hey, everything's great today on a Sunday. And you're ignoring the elephant in the room. Well, And I've already called you out on it once, and then you kept ignoring the elephant in the room. Well, I think the thing is, is you know, when you have as many children as I do, you, you've got to start tough conversations in a positive way or end a tough conversation in a positive way. I never mastered that skill in well, my house. I mean, just, my, my children might disagree with you there. <laughs> we just don't want to completely demean right it's here. It's not an experience they're familiar with. Okay, so I'm going to take it head on. Go ahead. You're hesitating. I am hesitating because now that I've said I'm going to take it head on, I don't know how to do it. But here's the – what is it, the first step uh, in solving a problem is admitting you have one. We have one. We have a problem. Um, but not everything is lost. So there are some things that are – I think the biggest challenge for me is deciding the what is wrong. What is wrong? Why are we here? And so when I look at it, is pitching better? Yeah, in ways. In ways it is. I mean, we haven't been thrown to the 28 Yankees or anything, but it's it's been better in places. 
we're throwing a lot more strikes. And I've done some digging, and I know you have too, on where we are giving up hits and strike counts. We'll come back to that in a minute because we're giving up a lot of hits early in counts and when we're ahead as pitchers in counts. Leave that aside. We're not kicking it around the infield. The errors that we've made have been pickoffs. Well, well certainly since Kohler came back, right? Yeah, rundowns. Um, it's rundowns and pickoffs. It's it's almost like it doesn't matter what's going on. We're going to invent a way to lose. There's not a consistently identifiable week. The past two years, we could come in here and say, hey, we're losing because we can't throw strikes. If we could just throw strikes, we'd be better. Well, now we're throwing strikes. And, and we said we're and, not appreciably better. And we said left side of the infield, defense. And we're better there. We're significantly. And hey, I'll, brief aside. I know what you're about to say because I was about to say it. Go ahead. I'll give you the honor. If you want to look at a guy, let me tell you why I'm most proud of Dylan Cup right now. So many times as a freshman, as an 18-year-old, and we talked about this a little bit on the ball game on on the broadcast yesterday about when you have adversity and how do you how do you you know live in adversity sometimes. Dylan Cup is a true freshman who has had difficulties in the first week of the season hitting the baseball offensively. That is natural. He had a big hit in the game on Friday. He looks more comfortable in his at-bats this weekend than he did the previous five games. But you know what he has not done? He has not taken that to the field at all. And it's hard for kids at that age, at 18 as a freshman, to not take their at-bats with him to the field. And he has been outstanding on the left side of the infield. Is that what you were going to say? It is. And the other thing I was going to say is at some level, he is so good defensively that I don't care what he does hitting. That being said, he's the guy that drove in the two runs that mattered on Friday. I mean, he's he's having better at-bats this weekend. He is. Amani Larry has played a solid second base. Yesterday he was going to cover the bag on a, on a steal attempt. They hit it behind him. He redirected, went back, and got it. He got credit with an error yesterday. Oh yeah, that was not that him. that that is not was not a money, and you know and I don't know Chris Lamont has probably had to go back and watch the film because right after the game he was talking about hey you got to step out create your angle and in that situation, what it was it was a pickoff attempt at second base, where you had a pitcher wheel back a guy got hung out to dry, and instead of running at him and making the runner commit one way or the other, he just throws it to Amani Larry. The guy takes off for third base. Well, you don't have time in that instance to step inside and get the angle. You've got to make a throw in a hurry or the guy's going to be safe to the advancing base. And we've talked about that, about rundowns and the advancing base. I know we've talked about it. I mean, my eight-year-old baseball coach, Chris Keene, coached me at 10 years old and taught us all about rundowns. But Amani throws it and hits the guy in the back. He ends up scoring on the play. I do not factor Amani Larry into that error at all, even though he has to be the guy that gets the error. Yeah, I thought that whole thing started. You got to run at the. You've got a batter. Excuse me. You have a base runner in between second, and third, who is basically stopped. And what I've always said is just go straight to them, make them commit, and once they've committed, then you do something. But it's this idea that the first person to panic in a rundown loses. And I thought we panicked a little bit getting rid of that baseball too soon. But that being said, we're making more plays in center field. We're doing some things better. We're not giving up stolen bases. We're controlling the run game very well. And we're still losing. And when I look at it, you know, you got a few guys who are hitting – Amani Larry's hitting the baseball for you. Dakota Jordan's hitting the baseball. And I know he struck out a lot, but he's also walked more than anybody else, and his OPS is the highest on the team. So, and he's, who knows, for all we know, Dakota's going to be a rowdy Jordan, right? Start slow, pick up fast. (laughs) Yeah, you never want to see rowdy before March the 15th. No, not at all. Not from our standpoint. You you did want to see him from an opposing dugout, but early in the season. But come April, you were pretty good with him, right? Pretty, come April, you're really good with him. But so Dakota, you know, Hunter's, you know, hitting it okay. Still hasn't run one out, but that'll come. Bottom of the order, 
hasn't been the best, but I thought it's done a little better this weekend. It certainly did on Friday. Has done a little bit better. Um, does it concern you the number of weak ground balls that were pounded in the turf out in front of home plate? It concerns me. Let's go back to Dakota a minute. How many times – all right, so we got this idea of a two-strike approach, put the ball in play, that kind of thing. Do you get too defensive? I mean, we've seen so many things change in baseball over the years. If you go up to the major league level, there aren't a ton, I would argue, of adjustments. You think John Carlos Stanton's taking something off on a 2-2 pitch or a 1-2 pitch? No. You know, they're still taking their swings. And I get it, it's different if you're Ronald Torres versus Aaron Judge. But it's almost like I look at Dakota on two strikes and the swing just doesn't look good. It's it's, it's, it's almost defensive. like he's too defensive. And it's it's almost like when he gets two strikes, you could throw it anywhere. And he's up there in true defense mechanism. It's almost like a guy with cricket. And it's like everything he sees is a strike. Everything. He's out on that front foot a little bit. And so, you know, we use the term you got to have a two-strike approach and, a, you know, somewhat of a defensive swing and be able to shorten up. And it's almost like he's trying to shorten up a little bit too much. Boy, and that's I not see a, a lot of guys getting out in front. I mean, when I say getting out in front, not out in front of pitches, but – On that front leg. On that front foot. Yeah. This is not a knock. I mean, and what, what that kind of tells you too is, is mentally there's some guys swimming. I would challenge you to name me a player – on our team who's not pressing right now. That's what I'm saying, man. Their heads are swimming right now. It's almost like you're scared to get beat. Is that you're scared to you're scared to do something negative. Well, it also has a feel of a here we go again aspect. Right. That once something goes wrong, we just can't we can't get out of it. All right, let's let's tackle this. You know, you fell behind seven nothing yesterday. Playing from behind is not easy. And pitching from ahead is a lot conversely. Easy. Yeah, pitching from ahead is a lot. Of, you know, of course, hey, we had a five nothing lead the other night. We didn't, we didn't pitch real well with a lead, but yeah. Um, anyway, counterpoint. Yeah, there, there it is. But you fell behind four nothing in a game yesterday, and it wasn't because you were walking guys around the bases. You gave up four runs on five hits in the first inning, Charlie. The thing that stood out to me, and we start talking about feel and how things feel. I mean, I said in the broadcast yesterday, I thought we had worn the camouflage hats all every game we played. We have not. We only won four out of seven. Yesterday was the fourth time, third game in a row, we wore the camouflage hats. Three too many. Okay. I'm just saying, but I was wrong. It just felt like we had worn them every game. We would only worn them four times. It just feels to me, and I know you've done all the homework here. I'm just kind of leading into this. It feels to me that we have given up a bunch of – 0-2-1-2 hits or first pitch hits? Indeed. Really? Indeed we have. And here's what's crazy. We have given up 62 hits on this season. 17 of those. So that's 27% of the hits we have given up have been on the first pitch of an at-bat. Ooh. Okay. All right. Do you have it broken down by A game? full 56% of the hits we've given out. Okay, 56% of the hits we have given up have come on 0-0, Without a ball. A no ball count. We've only given up two hits this year on a three ball count. We have only given up two hits on a 2-0 count. Well, I know one of those three ball counts was a 3-0 count that Air Force turned their guy loose on. Is that right? Yes. Okay, so last weekend – they had a 3-0 and a 3-1 hit. Here's the point of this. Behind in the count, when our pitchers are behind in the count, okay, so when we've gone 2-1 on a guy, 3-1 on a guy, 2-0 on a guy, you start thinking like damage pitches, right? We have given up less than 20% of our hits in that situation. Which is a complete opposite trend than what we saw last year. You think of all the hits we gave up last year because it was 2-0, 3-1. All right, so let's take those. Two oh three one counts. You know how many hits we've allowed on those combined? Two. What? Two. Two oh or three one. Yes. So you start talking about uh oh, here's the damage pitch. We pitched ourselves into trouble. Now we gotta put one over the middle of the plate. Okay, so all right. How many oh oh counts hits have we given up 
the first weekend. I don't think there were many against Air Force, was there? Three. How many total? 17. What? So, since Austin Peace, if you take the last five games. Four games. Last four games, excuse me. So, in the first three games, we gave up three leadoff hits. In the last four, we've given up 14. And that's OO counts. OO counts. So, what does that tell you? Well, somebody's watching the ball games. Well, so, okay, I take two things from it. And one of them is going to be somewhat negative. The first thing is is scouting reports. People probably watched the games after we played Air Force last weekend and we poured a bunch of strikes through on strike one. And they were like, hey, get up there and jump on the first pitch. There, well, here's the downside to throwing more strikes. You give up more hits. People are counting on strikes. People are counting on strikes. And so they're saying, hey, go up there first pitch. Now, I will – There is an advantage. I, hear me out here. And the problem is we don't have a staff yet. I think we are so defensive against throwing pitches out of the zone right now that even on an 0-2 pitch, you know, one way of branding it is to say, well, we're challenging the hitters. I don't think we're willing to let our guys we're being flirt too, with – We're being too conservative is what you're saying. I don't think we're willing to let our guys flirt with a walk because yeah. we walk so many and we know it's in their head that – and look, we saw it yesterday. We saw an 0-2 count turn into a walk. So, you know, there's a thousand different ways you could break this metric down. I thought the thing that really jumped out to me, though, was the hits that we've allowed have not been a product of getting ourselves into bad pitchers' counts slash hitters' counts. The 2-0 pitch, the 3-1 pitch, those aren't beating us. Okay, then I go back. It could be two things. One is the scouting. Hey, you need to know you're still going to get a good pitch to hit OO, or if it's 1 2 or 0 2, these guys are not trying to get you to chase something way out of the zone. They're not going to give you a waste pitch. So you better be engaged at 0 2. The other thing is, too, is quality of pitches. What's the quality look like? I mean, you start thinking about RPMs on a fastball or a curveball, are the pitches quality pitches yeah and, and I mean, the other thing i don't know is it's so what i would say is that what i have looked at here is only the tip of the iceberg in the level of research that would need to be done because here's what you then have to do and we don't have access to the raw data everything we see analytically in baseball you and i sit up with a calculator and a spreadsheet and just start pounding it out because we're baseball nerds yes but we don't admitting it's the first step i love baseball i love numbers but you can't you know in basketball you can go find the sites you can go find the data right baseball you can't no baseball you got to go create your own and so what i don't know is how much are we relying on fastball first pitch it just as i sit here in my memory i don't think we've been just selling out first pitch fastball. I would to me I would I would really remember that. I think we're doing a pretty good job of mixing fastball breaking ball on pitch one. Yeah, you know, I would say the guy who wasn't doing that was on Friday. Nate Dawn was throwing a lot of first pitch fastballs, but he was throwing a lot of first, second, and third pitch fastballs because they couldn't hit it. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't a it, there wasn't a danger. It was the best pitch that he had. And he certainly mixed more in later. Um, so that's interesting to me to look at. But I think the thing that really jumps out to me is you say, all right, what did we have to change from last year? Left side of the infield defense. At least in the games that Kohler has played, we've done that. Because Cup's been great, he's been great. Walk fewer guys. With the exception of some innings that have gotten to us, we've done that. You had to throw more strikes. Hit fewer guys. All those things we've been doing. But it's still, there's still something wrong. And the only thing I can conclude is that this team is just in its head. And you've heard me say this a dozen times, the old Reggie Jackson quote, pinstripes are heavy. And not everybody can carry the pinstripes around. I think right now the weight of expectation and the weight of frustration, the weight of the past two years, I think it's just on some guys. And that's why I joke. Somebody asked me the other day, what would you do? I said, you know what I'd done on Thursday? We'd have played dodgeball. Yeah. Gone to the golf course. We, um, 
you know, you do have some people, and the thought process is, is, hey, it's early in the season. You've played seven games, which is, what, 11 12% of your regular season right now. You can't sit there and say, remain calm all is well. You can't do that because there is something. There's something there. You can't be intellectually honest and say that. No, you, you can't be. You can't be an apologist and say, and say, hey, it's just at the end of the day, something's, something's there. All right, so let me ask you. I want to play some of these scenarios to you then, and, and you tell me. Is the competition we've played better than we think? Air Force, I don't think is. Maybe I'm wrong. But, I mean, I look at them at the plate. They're not – they're not great. They're nothing compared. I mean, nothing Nothing is compared to what you're going to see. And I think that's the thing that worries you. Not only are you having difficulties offensively right now, I mean, you haven't seen the three cats at Arkansas is about to roll in here. You know what I'm saying? You haven't seen the three guys that LSU's going to throw at you. You haven't seen the three guys that, that Tennessee's going to throw at you. Do we even play Tennessee this year? I hope not. Whatever. You're not going to see the three guys that Vanderbilt's throwing at you. So that's the thing that worries you. You're like, well, okay, well, we we haven't done a good job against, you know, pitchers that are throwing max velocity at 90 miles an hour with movement. Well, daggum, every time they bring somebody in at 94, we ain't had to hit that either. They brought that in yesterday, and we didn't hit it. All right, so might Austin P be a better team than we think? Austin P could be a better team, yes. Because what do good teams have to have? I think good teams have to have that one dude. You know, I think they gotta have a I think they gotta have a guy in their lineup that you kind of build around. They got a guy in the two spot in their lineup that can hit. He can flat out hit. And what do guys do like that? All right, when Tanner Allen was coming to the plate or Jake Mangum was coming to the plate, or you start thinking about Hunter Renfro when he was coming to the plate, you know, back when when Hunter played here, and the guys that are really good. And he's like, Well, he's only one guy. But it affects Every pitch in the previous three at-bats because you're worried about what happens when Hunter Renfro comes to the plate. Does that make sense? It does. One one batter can affect three or four at-bats. And that's one thing I go back to Austin P. They got a dude that can affect three or four at-bats. Too early in the year to start looking at RPI, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. I don't. I mean, it, it way, way too early. But what is it? I'm curious now. Oh, it's in the hundreds. The highest-ranked team RPI-wise that we've played so far is Georgia Southern, 62. Austin P though, is at 158. Air Force is at 182. We're at 170. Did you take my $100 bet last week about Austin P in the 150? I did not. Okay. I, I think was, it was Air Force that you made the bet on. Oh, I said Air Force. Yeah, Air Force. Hey, don't look now. They're, uh, they're roughing up Navy this weekend. They won 7-1 on Friday. What did they do yesterday? I know Austin P won over Maryland Eastern Shore. They beat Navy 10-0. Really? Did they really? Okay. Complete the sweep today. So, I don't know, man. I just think we're in kind of Mark Grace world here. <laughs> I'll leave it for, the, for those who understand. Um, but. Hey, let me. Uh, speaking of, you know. Speaking of starting your morning off the right way, I had some country-pleasing sausage this morning, some three-cheese sausage this morning. And what I did was I diced it up and put it in some egg whites, made an omelet. I made an egg white omelet this morning with diced up three-cheese country-pleasing sausage, and it was really good. That's a lot of work to make an omelet. Well, I mean, nobody was up Saturday night. I had a kid last night that went to bed at 830 did not see the second half of the basketball game and was still asleep when I left the house this morning. Can I make a confession to you? Is that what you t- did too? I went to bed at 6. Did I you? woke up at midnight. And watched the game? Saw that we won and then watched it. <laughs> so it was beautiful to be able to watch the game that way because I had no, I had no anxiety. I had no pressure. And what I've found during this five-game run is that I've gotten very little joy. I've only gotten relief. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Do you ever get that way? Uh, when you win a game, it's not that you're happy. It's just a well, – last night I was happy. And let me tell you how I've gotten to watch games. And this is, you know, you talk about today's world, first world problems, is, you know, right now it seems like every stream and every 
every time we watch a game, it's got about a 20-second delay. As I watch the stat broadcast first, I'm, I'm, I'm reading stat broadcast before it actually happens, knowing of how my reaction is going to be when I see it happens. So I just can't watch a game anymore. That's, that's bad of me, I know. No, I'm the same way. I mean, I of course, just, last night, like you said, I missed the whole thing. My hand, okay, well, so that's, that's why you're in a good mood this morning. Not as good a mood as I am. But anyway, I had that good country-pleasing sausage to start my day. Country-pleasing. Go to countrypleasing.com, and they'll ship you that great sausage. And they're marketing now their, all their sauces in grocery stores around the, the southeast, Walmart, and the state of Mississippi. And so they've got some of those great slop sauces and things that they, they make down at uh, Country Meat Packers. Go to countrypleasing.com. See all the great sausages that they make. And also our good friends at Howard Technology Solutions. Howard Technology Solutions, making your company better with all the great technology, whether it be computers, laptops, and printers, and network security. Go to howardcomputers.com to see how they can help you. And speaking of country-pleasing sausage, there's a place right by Country Meat Packers on Highway 49 down in Florence. It's just north of Country Pleasing, and it's called Jerry's Catfish House. It's a big igloo. When you're driving by, you see a big white building out to the left. It's a big igloo is what it is. And you can get the best catfish on the weekends that you could possibly want at Jerry's Catfish House. They bread it up, fry it up. It is really good, and they get it from our good friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can possibly want. If you own a restaurant and you want great, solid catfish to put on your menu, whether it be grilled, whatever, talk to our friends at Heartland Catfish. They'll get you all good and set up. And so the best farm-raised catfish from the ponds all the way to your plate, it's, how's, it's uh, it started right here in Mississippi over in Itabina, Heartland Catfish. So, speaking of igloos, that was one of my rabbit hole things the other day. Is So, I'm bad, as we've talked about before. I wake up at some time during the night, and I'm usually awake for an hour. And then I just start playing. I started playing around with igloos. I think I saw a picture of an igloo on Twitter or something, and it got me to looking. I thought it was interesting that inside an igloo, by body heat alone, the temperature could be 60 degrees. Really? Did you know that water, if you have a greenhouse that you're looking to heat that a lot of people will put water in these big containers because it'll warm up during the day it'll stay warm at night it'll increase the temperature 10 to 15 degrees at night in the greenhouse if you don't have a viable heat solution for your greenhouse i looked at you yesterday and after year ago i was at that point yesterday man i didn't know what else to talk about we're getting beat everybody's texting me saying man i'm sorry i'm sorry y'all having to go through this we're getting direct messages on twitter you know, people I hadn't talked to in years. Man, I'm sorry, y'all having to y'all 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 having to put a lipstick on this. And so I started googling some things. I talked about thought about some gardening. You're not a gardener. I was uh, actually purchasing some uh, Tabasco pepper seed yesterday between the fourth and the fifth inning. Well, maybe you, like our ball club, need to refocus. That's probably my issue right there. Or no, maybe our ball club, like you, needs to purchase some Tabasco seeds between innings. <laughs> maybe that's the thing. Maybe we're we got to loosen up. We need a rain out. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody run out there and hit the sprinklers. <laughs> Somebody turn on the turn on the sprinklers and. Well, uh, hey, let me ask you this real quick, completely off topic, and you know, earlier I guess on Friday when we start talking about a news dump on Friday, Tennessee won their appeal on a court case about NIL collectives. What 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 how what what was that and how yeah, does that so affect things? I think I'd phrase it a little differently. I have no idea. Okay. So what Tennessee had done is they moved for a TRO, which is a very early stage, but then they had moved for a preliminary injunction. And without getting into the whole process that goes into it. But a TRO is a temporary restraining order, right? It is. Okay, I caught that. It lasts about 10 days usually. Okay. They're limited in time. But the big thing is what's called a preliminary injunction, and a preliminary injunction says, in effect, this is going to be the rule until this case is decided or you settle or the case goes away. But it is a interim relief that basically says, here's what we're going to do until we sort all this out. Right, with me so far? I'm there. So So this is the law until we make a law. Yeah, in effect. But 
they're extraordinary remedies, meaning they're not typically granted. To have one granted, you have to show a number of things. The two, I think, that are most relevant for us are, one, that you have a likelihood of prevailing on the merits of the case, sometimes referred to as a strong likelihood. Put in more simple terms, it means you're probably going to win this thing, and we feel really good about your chances of winning, okay? So if you were to go into court and say, judge, give me an injunction, and he can't look at it and say, there's a real good chance you're going to win, they're going to say no. Are you with me so far? I'm there. The second thing you have to show is that you have irreparable harm. And what that means is most lawsuits are about money. And if, if money at the end of the day, if you and I were fighting over a loan that I had made you or vice versa, then what the judge would say, he wouldn't say, hey, go ahead and pay him now till we sort it out. He'd say, look, guys, at the end of the day, money can make all this right. But there are some things that money can't fix. If we were having a fight about cutting down a 100-year oak tree, right, money isn't going to fix that. The tree's gone forever. You can't replant a 100-year-old tree. You with me so far? If you were if you, if you were a baseball team and you're suing saying, hey, I ought to be in the playoffs, this player shouldn't have been eligible, the judge could say, wait a minute, you're going to win. We can't recreate the playoffs if you don't have this chance right now. And so in the NIL world, what the judge said is there, basically there are two things. One, there's a strong likelihood that Tennessee and Virginia are going to win their case against the NCAA, which in effect says this. You, NCAA, have passed rules that are against the Sherman Act. Basically, they're anti-competitive. They violate our rules against monopolies and how they may act. You're unfairly limiting what these players can negotiate and what they can do, and they'll never recover because they're making their college decisions right now. Money won't fix it. And the court said you're right. And so from now until that case is resolved – or until an appellate court steps in and says otherwise, the NCAA is prevented from enforcing its rules that prevent a high school player or a transfer from talking to collectives and negotiating deals before they've committed. You remember the thing we've always heard is it can't be an inducement? Can't be a recruiting tool? What the judge has basically just said is you can't tell these third parties what to do. They can do it, and you can't stop them. And so what it means is – Collectives now have a lot more latitude to be involved in the early stages of a recruit's consideration of a school. What it really means, here's the other thing, by the way. This is, a, this is one that always bothered me, and the judge said something about this too. The NCAA has this rule that if an injunction is entered and is in your favor, but it's late, later overturned, we can penalize you for following the judge's rule. Here's the practical example of that. A player who transfers, the NCAA says you're not eligible. If I were to go down to court and get an injunction from a judge that says he's allowed to play this weekend, if I ultimately lost that case, they'd be able to come back and make me forfeit, make Mississippi State forfeit all those games. Right. Judge says you ain't doing that either. Oh. Not only are you not going to enforce these rules, but why it's going on, you're not going to penalize somebody for doing what I've said they can do. I think if you look at all the cases against the NCAA over the years, we had the Ed O'Bannon case, we had the Austin case, we've got the House case going on. I think to this point this is arguably the most significant ruling that we've seen because what it has done is it has effectively said recruiting inducement rules are out the window. That's what I was about to, about to ask. From So from a collective standpoint, it's almost like we went to a golf tournament one time. It may have been in Tupelo. And they had the throws. I mean, I, sometimes you can buy throws and you can buy the mulligans and things of that nature. And I remember Coach Cheryl, and this is years ago, saying, boys, the only rule is there are no rules. Is that the way the collectives are right now? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there, there are very, very few. Um, right now, the greatest threat to collectives and those who have, in my judgment, in poor reasoning, set up as 501c3s and tried to be charities. I think their greatest danger is the IRS. Yeah, going to jail, IRS. Yeah. But okay. There's The NCAA, as we know it, is on life support. It's not dead, but it's on life support. And I don't believe that they're smart enough to fix it. 
And the only way practically they can fix it now is to go to Congress. And yeah, let's come on. <laughs> come on. Do you feel comfortable about anything being passed through Congress? <laughs> no. That, that that somebody wants right now. And that's not that's a, that's a apolitical statement right there. That is a non that is a nonpartisan statement. So, hey, the thing about the Bulldog Initiative is you got great opportunities to continue to help the Bulldog Initiative because basketball, baseball, basketball deadline is coming up or the basketball portal is opening up. But also, if you want great gear, if you want good Bulldog Initiative gear, you can go to our friends at Maroon and Company. Go to maroonandco.com, anything Mississippi State, Bulldog Initiative gear at maroonandco.com. Type in the code NIL10. They'll give you a 10% discount and send 5% of that purchase to the Bulldog Initiative. All the Bulldog logos, all the logos we got going on right now, you can get all of them, any of them you want, at Maroon and Company. Go to maroonandco.com. All right, so we've got a game today. Hey, you said last week on Sunday when we played Air Force, if we had, we had split the first two, you said, hey, Bart, is this – a must win. And I said, yeah, can't lose two out of three to the Air Force. Charlie, I'm going to turn the, the turntable turns today. Is today a must win against Georgia Southern? I mean, that's a loaded question because it's a must not lose. Okay. <laughs> Meaning here's the thing. If you win today, 19 to two, do you feel any different? Meaning, I think you've got a big block of games now that are must-wins. I think you've got to look at the next ten games. And I'm not going to say something dumb like, you got to win them all, but nine. you got to win a bunch of them. And, hey, just remind yourself that next weekend, when you play, we play Tuesday against Jackson State. I know we play a 6 o'clock basketball game against Kentucky on Tuesday as well. So you've got baseball – Men's basketball on Tuesday, which, by the way, men's basketball parking will take precedent on that whole situation. But then next weekend we play Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you don't have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, next weekend, Mississippi State and Mount St. Mary's out of Maryland. All right, Charlie, anything else for the good of the cause? Well, I'm happy about basketball. Hey, it was a great su- – I'm, I'm just trying to channel the Bart that walked in here. Big game on Tuesday it's night. It's a great bat- – Hey, uh, don't forget – I'm already th- nervous about that one. I am too. Are you? I am. Uh, you think back to the mid-90s. Remember 95, 90, 96. Played 96, 94. Man, you had some big matchups with Kentucky 90, here. No, it was 2004, the Azabuki put, put back that we had. Yeah, that was a night. That was a kick. Um, right in the gut. So I remember when I'm a kid, I can't give you the exact answer. 82, 83, somewhere in there. Dying to beat Kentucky. We get a five-second call. So we're up one. Kentucky has the ball midcourt. We get a five-second call. The ball comes back to us, meaning we defended. They couldn't get it in. All we got to do is throw it in, and we're going to win. Five second. No, we th- threw it right to them. They lay it up. We lose. Okay. That's my life against Kentucky. I mean, if you were – if you knew nothing about these two teams other than the names, looked at the records, what you would say is we're going to get jobbed on a call with about 48 seconds to go and hey, be really mad when we're done. And if you're sitting in one of the fraternity houses right now and you're sitting there saying, hey, I want to do something that's never been done before in this series. And you're like, hey, let's go get a skunk and put it under their bench. Hey, that's been done, okay? So don't do that. It's been done before. Well, so you're inciting animal cruelty. No, I'm just saying don't do anything stupid. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. Speaking of stupid, there's been a lot of discussion real quick. Yesterday, (laughs) we had the storming the court, the Wake Forest Duke game. Yeah. Um, And there was been a huge backlash against Wake Forest for their inability to secure the court. Um, Do you think he kind of leaned into it a little bit? I did not. Have uh, you seen the video? Well, I saw the video of Caitlin Clark a couple of weeks ago, and I will not comment publicly on that whatsoever. There uh, were similar vibes. Were there similar vibes? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big court storming guy anyway. Well, I'm not a court storming guy against the team you're favored to beat. Right. Particularly, look, man, in 91, we won the SEC. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. But well, is beating a conference opponent really? You know. Anyway, do we have anybody in our league that we storm the court over? You shouldn't. I mean, Kentucky's trying to fire their coach. That's what I'm saying. We win Tuesday night. It would be ridiculous to storm the court. A win against Tennessee. They lost at LSU. I mean, it's not like we're playing the Globetrotters here. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on this Sunday morning. We've got baseball later today at 1 o'clock. Don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast. Out of left field, subscribe to the podcast, and it'll pop up automatically for you. Give us a five-star. Leave us a note if you liked it. If you didn't like it, post it on somebody else's, but not ours. Hey, appreciate you. And once again, thanks to our good friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here on this Sunday morning. And this is Sunday Coffee brought to you by our friends at Strange Brew Coffee House. Strange Brew Coffee House. Go to strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. They'll ship you the mugs and that great coffee. Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. Howard Technology Solutions. Go to howardcomputers.com. Our friends at Country Pleasing Sauces. Go to countrypleasing.com and see all the flavors they've got. And, of course, they got the new slop sauces and sauces around the state and Walmarts locally. And also that great sausage. And our friends at Maroon and Company. Wyatt Craig and his great staff, they do a great job right there by campus at the Cotton Mill Marketplace. Go to maroonandco.com and do all your bulldog shopping or go in the store. Use the NIL 10 code and 10% off and 5% coming back to the Bulldog Initiative. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Hey, appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on the latest edition of Sunday Coffee.